All right, welcome back. Hopefully y'all had a good afternoon. I know I had a entertaining one. Listen to the kids play some games while I was doing some work. Uh, but tonight we are going to continue our study of the book of John. Uh, we have been looking at John chapter 5. We saw Christ heal the man at the pool of Bethesda. We saw the Jews react to that. And Christ's reaction to them, we're going to pick up in verse number 19 of chapter 5. Actually, we'll start in verse number 17, uh, but we're going to really focus on verses 19 through 47 through the end of the chapter. And we're going to see Christ uh, explain some things about himself. Um, Unfortunately, he's explaining them to uh, what the Bible would consider fools, men that will not understand and will refuse to understand, but... Hopefully today as we look through this, we can see these things and understand uh, who Christ is and how we should live based on who he is. So John chapter 5 and verse number 17 says, But Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do, for what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. For the Father loveth the Son, and showeth him all things that himself doeth, and he will show him greater works than these that ye may marvel. For as the Father raiseth up the dead, and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word, and believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life. And he shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming, in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice, and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. I can of mine own self do nothing, as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not mine own, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another that beareth witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesseth of me is true. He sent unto John, and he bear witness unto the truth. But I receive not testimony from man, but these things I say that ye might be saved. He was a burning and shining light, and ye were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. But I have greater witness than that of John, for the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. And the Father himself which hath sent me hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his shape. And ye have not his word abiding in you, for whom he hath sent sent him ye believe not. Search the scriptures, for in him ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And ye will not come to me, that ye might have life. 
I receive not honor from men, but I know ye that ye have not the love of God in you. I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him ye will receive. How can ye believe which receive honor one of another, and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom ye trust. For had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if ye believe not his writings, how shall ye believe my words? Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you so much for your word, for your truth. God, this is a long portion of scripture, but it all ties together. and It's got some very important things for us to see. So God, I pray that you would work in us. I pray that you would grab our attention, Lord, that you would remove all distractions, that we would see and understand the truth that you have to present to us tonight. Lord, I know that I will not be able to dig out every nugget that's here. I just pray, Lord, that what I do dig out is your truth and your word, and that it will affect and change our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would watch over us, guide us, and direct us, and that you would show us how you'd have us to live. But Lord, most of all, I pray that we would be willing to follow, willing to stand and fight for what we know is right, and to follow you through every, every event. So God, please, guide and direct. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, we understand that Christ is speaking to those Jews who have just seen this tremendous miracle. A man uh, that was lame for 38 years has been healed. And their first thought as they see him up and walking, knowing exactly who he is, knowing what he's been gone through for the last 38 years, their first thought is what you're doing is wrong. You're profaning the Sabbath day. Their first thought is evil and wicked. And Christ uh, announces to them that he has been sent by the Father, that his Father works and hitherto he works. So now not only are they trying to kill Christ because he profaned the Sabbath day, but they're trying to kill Christ because he put himself equal with the Father. He's absolutely right. He is equal with the Father. He is God in human flesh. He is the creator of the world. He is the creator of the Sabbath day. But Christ decides here that he's going to go ahead and he is going to teach them who he is. Now again, I said this before, I feel like he is casting pearls to swine here, but understanding that he is, this is not just for the Jews that he's speaking to. This is recorded by John the Beloved for us today so that we can know and understand Christ's relationship to the Father and the Father's relationship to Christ the Son. And so we can strive to have that same relationship in our own families. So the first thing we see is Christ's obedience. Christ, again, continues his teaching with these hard-hearted Jews by explaining more about his relationship to the Father. He explains in verse number 19 that he cannot do anything of himself but only what he sees his Father doing. This means that he has no desire to go outside of what his Father wishes. This, again, becomes very apparent in John chapter 17. John chapter 17 is when Christ is praying in the garden before he is to be crucified. When he is on his knees praying with great sweat drops of blood in agony 
before the men come and, and take him prisoner to crucify him. He prays, not thy will, or not my will, but thine be done. He's not asking, he is asking if the cup can go from him, if there's another way so that it doesn't have to be him. But he understands that if it has to be him, then it's going to be him. He understands that no matter what, he is going to follow through with the will of the Father. And that's what he's trying to explain to these Jews here. He's saying, look, I can't do anything of myself. I can only do what my Father has showed me to do. This is uh, an imitation. This is, uh, the saying is that imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. And I think about my own life and I think about my children and, and I'm sure you fathers can think about yours. As you, they've grown up and as I grew up, I remember many times trying to walk in my dad's footsteps. I remember we haven't had, uh, I don't know that the children have ever seen this much snow, the amount of snow that, that I'm about to talk about, but I remember living out on the farm three miles outside of town here and having so much snow uh, in the front yard when I walked down to the bus before we moved the driveway um, that if I fell through, it would be up to my chest. And I remember trying to get all the way down on top of the snow because it was frozen over. It was, there was about a half inch to an inch of solid snow. And if I jumped too hard, I would break through and then I'd have to crawl back out. But uh, if I could, I, I was small enough, I, I could just about walk all the way down to the bottom of the hill to get on the bus. But I also remember going out cutting firewood with my dad. And I remember we would go back into the timber and he'd drive until he didn't feel like he could drive the truck any farther without getting stuck. And he would always make sure to drive forward and back up and drive forward a few times and look underneath to make sure he had enough clearance so that when we loaded the truck down, it didn't get high centered on the snow. But then he would walk through the timber and find the tree that he wanted to cut down. And I always had to walk and try and step in his steps. Of course, my legs were not nearly as long as his are. His, he's about a foot taller than I am. So even now, my legs are not nearly as long as his are. And I remember uh, also going and we'd be walking down the street uh, through Nevada. His, his office was in Nevada. and I'd be visiting for something. We'd be going to lunch or... Again, I'm probably eight or nine years old. And, and we'd meet people that he knew, but, didn't, they, they, but they didn't really know me. They were people that he knew through his business. And he would introduce me as his son, and they'd say, oh yeah, he looks just like you. And I would laugh. And Dad would kind of get a chuckle. And they would just have this really confused look. Because I really didn't look anything like him, other than the fact that I had tried to imitate his body language. I carried myself the way he did. I tried to walk the way he did. Uh, but because he's not my biological father, I did not physically look like him. But I tried to imitate him. Christ not only points out that he cannot do anything outside of the will of his Father, but that what his Father does, he does as well. The Father raised the dead, and so does the Son. This should be of great knowing, great comfort to us, knowing that God is perfect, he's just, he's righteous, he's holy, and therefore so is Christ. But it should also give us pause, because that same relationship happens in our own children. For better or worse, they want to be just like us and most often follow in our footsteps, following our actions far more than our words. The saying is that what we do in moderation as parents, our children will do to excess. What we think is okay, 
our children are going to think is great. So that can be a good thing if we are serving and doing, working for the Lord, then our children will see that and see our honest and true faith and desire to have that. But if we're half-hearted and have one foot in the world and one foot in the things of God or even both feet in the world and uh, you know the tail of our shirt hanging into the things of God, the children are going to go the other way. They're going to imitate us. They're going to follow us. Christ goes on to explain His authority. Because He is God, because He is the Son of God, God has given Him authority. Verse number 20, For the Father loveth the Son, and showeth Him all things that, he, that Himself doeth. And He will show Him greater works than these that ye may marvel for as the Father raised up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom He will. Verse number 22, For the Father judges no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. Now you guys know what a judge is. Abraham, do you know what a judge is? What's a judge? Okay, what do they do? Malachi, do you know what a judge does? Okay. Josiah, do you know what a judge does? They decide the punishment for the guilty person. Okay. A judge presides over a hearing. They listen to all the testimony. Now, if there's a, a jury involved, the jury ultimately decides who's guilty or innocent. But the judge decides if the law has been, the requirements of the law have been met in order for that person to be considered for that crime. The judge has to decide, has to know the law and understand the law, not just the way the law is written, but the spirit of the law, and also has to know and understand what happened in the incident to know and understand whether that person can be tried for the same thing. And then, yes, they do. They, they decide on what... They have the ultimate decision on what the punishment should be. The jury doesn't actually decide the punishment. The judge, that's his sole discretion. If the jury finds the defendant guilty, then the judge makes the decision on what the punishment should be. And the judge can be lenient or the judge can be hard. God has given... God the Father has given the authority of judgment over this entire earth to Jesus Christ. At the end of the world, when the books of life are open and the, the when the book is open and then the other books, the book of life is open, the dead and great, <clears throat> the dead, small and great, are going to stand before God. They're going to stand before Christ. And they're going to be judged out of the things that are written in those books. Christ is going to make that decision. Christ, who lived on this earth for 33 and a half years, walked in our shoes, was tempted in all the ways that we are tempted, and yet was able to live a perfect, sinless life, serving the Lord completely, is going to be the one that is going to decide whether we are guilty or innocent. Now thankfully, if we're saved, we're automatically 
innocent. We are seen as Christ himself. We are covered in his righteousness. So there won't be any punishment or damnation for us. But for those that aren't, their end is in the lake that burneth with fire and brimstone. Verse number 24 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Christ is the one. It is his authority that is going to judge. But Christ also explains the scope of his authority. God the Father gave all judgment to the Son. All judgment. Not just a little, but all. He is the one who decides if a circumstance is allowed or disallowed under the law. That is why here, when he's healing on the Sabbath day, when he is uh, working on the Sabbath day, when his disciples are treading the corn and, and walking through and they pluck the corn and they rub it in their hands and begin to eat it, they are profaning the Sabbath day. They are doing work that was not meant to be done on the Sabbath day. But they are doing it in following Christ. That's why he can say that he didn't break the law. And that's why the Jews have so much problem with him. Because his authority is greater than their authority. Christ decides which circumstances are allowed or disallowed under the law. Therefore, all honor should fall to him. But this will never be the case for the majority of people on earth. They will never see Christ as their, as their authority. As we looked at it in chapter 1, we know that the Word of God is Jesus Christ. That they're one and the same. We hold the very Word of God in our hands. It's interesting, I was just reading a book uh, before you all got back here on the disciple-making pastor. And uh, in the chapter that I was reading, the man was going through and explaining the, how uh, the liberal church, how the church has eroded away. And the main cause of it eroding away is the fact that the Scripture is not held as authority any longer. The first thought in my mind was, um, this is interesting coming from a man who's using four different versions of the Bible in his book. He's not wrong, but he also doesn't see that he's not right either. But we have the absolute inerrant Word of God right here in the King James Bible. And if Christ it was given by God all authority, then the Word of God that we hold in our hands, that is Jesus Christ Himself, should be our sole authority for faith and practice. Not only does Christ explain His authority, his, the origin of his, his authority, the scope of His authority, but also the reach of His authority. His authority doesn't just end with what is going on here on earth. In this text, it doesn't just end with what happens until He's crucified. His authority is over all. 
excuse me. He goes on in verse number 25. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life, hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself. The dead are going to hear the voice of God. Now this is not saying that those that are dead are going to get the chance to hear the gospel again. This is foreshadowing when we get to Lazarus, when, Laz when Lazarus is in the tomb and Christ says, Lazarus, come forth. This reminds us of Jonah, when Jonah was in, the, in hell. After he was swallowed by the whale, the whale, it says that out of the belly of hell he cried unto God, and God heard him and brought him out of the belly of hell. Of hell. Christ not only has authority of the things here on earth, but he has authority of the things that are over the, the things of the past and over the things of the future. But notice it says, the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. Hear his voice. I'm just going to be honest for a minute. I don't when I when I read this book, I don't hear every word. I can read the same passage 10 different times and have different things jump out to me. Have, have you guys heard the story of the um what is it? it's it's uh the man that went out and hired people to come work in his vineyard. He goes out in the morning, he hires laborers for a penny a day, and then he goes out again a couple hours later and he hires more, and he goes out again a couple hours later and he hires more, and he goes out again and at the end of the day and he hires more. And then when he brings them all in, he starts at the ones that work the, that were hired last and he pays them. And by the time they get to the end, the ones that he hired first, they're upset. I've heard that story I don't know how many times. But I was listening to it the other day as I was working, as I was changing the oil on a car, and something jumped out to me. You know, the only people that were upset about what they made that day are the ones that were told what they were going to make. The ones that were actually given a price, the first ones, they were given a price. The man said, I'll hire you for a penny a day. And they agreed, and they went and worked for the whole day for a penny. All the rest that the man went and hired... He didn't tell them how much he was going to pay them. They were just happy to be working and happy with whatever they got. The ones that were upset are the ones that thought they knew what they should get. Because they were looking at not the deal they had made, but at everybody else. They thought they were better than what they were. They thought they had worked harder. They thought they deserved more. Now, there's a lot of different ways we can go with that and, and that's a whole other message. The point of that is, that's something I hadn't heard before. I'd read that story. I'd heard that story many times. But God spoke to my heart specifically about that matter. 
Now, for several years, well, up until just recently, um, I have worked and struggled because I feel like I'm being, I feel like those first people, that I'm much more valuable than what I'm being paid. And it wasn't until uh, this last couple of years when I was working at Harmar and, and struggled and fought with them and, and was turned down for a couple of things and, and understood that they, uh, that I just needed to do what I had agreed to do. It wasn't until I finally understood that that I was able to be content and happy where I'm at. I, I drive around Marshalltown now and, and I love Brother Jesse and I'm very happy where I am doing what I'm doing and, and helping out. But I drive around and I see, you know, the Casey's start working there. It's like eighteen fifty an hour. Can you imagine? <laughs> Making eighteen fifty to run a cash register? Man. But that's not where God has me. I don't have that gift. I can talk to people. And I can be nice to people. But that only lasts so long when I'm dealing with customers. There's a reason that I don't deal with brother with customers at Brother Jesse's shop. But we, we have to understand that we need to be content. But not only that, we have to understand that the Bible tells us different things. So it's not just read the passage and figure out what it says to me today it's a constant living book and what that same passage tells me today it'll tell you something different and it'll tell you something different but the point is we can't just be hearers we have to be doers those that heard the truth lived again And then he goes on to share his witness. Now, Jesus continues reminding them that it is not just himself that is witnessing of these things. We saw earlier up in the chapter, um, maybe it wasn't in chapter 5. It was in chapter 4, I think. Where he says that the Father is a witness of Him and He is a witness of Him. So where two or more, where two witnesses are, it is true. But he goes on to say that it's not just Him. It's not just the Father that's witnessing of Him. It's not just Christ Himself that's witnessing of Him. John the Baptist witness of Him. Moses witnesses of him all the prophets witness of him in God's perfect law only two witnesses are required to make something true Christ has given them many more men that they claim to respect and follow wrote of Christ and yet they're choosing to ignore that witness and then he goes on to remind them that in the end he is not the accuser Again, Christ is the judge. So in any courtroom, there's a defendant, 
there's a plaintiff, which is the person that was offended. Then there's lawyers for each side. There's the district attorney, which is normally called a prosecutor. And there is the defense attorney for the defendant, someone who's trying to save the defendant or trying to, to show that the defendant is not guilty, along with the judge. Well, the prosecutor, the prosecutor and the plaintiff are the accusers. They're the ones that are bringing the charges, the allegations against the defendant. They're the ones that have to prove that the defendant did what they say he did. That's not up to the judge. That's not up to the jury. So who's the accuser? If Christ as the judge can't be the accuser, who's the accuser? Well, the very man that they claim to be following. Moses. Moses was given the law by God and Moses gave the law to the Israelites and Moses is the one that accuses them, that shows them their state. That's why the law is called a schoolmaster. I don't know. I know my kids have all read The Pilgrim's Progress. Have any of you others read The Pilgrim's Progress? The Pilgrim's Progress, written by John Bunyan, is a play that is written uh, from the perspective of a Christian who's just gotten saved. And it's, it's his walk from salvation, or from just before salvation, uh, from his understanding his need and then ending up being saved all the way to his entering in to heaven, to his resurrection. Somewhere in the beginning, as uh, Christian leaves his home, understanding that his home is doomed, that his hometown is doomed, he leaves his home and he goes through, uh, starts into the wilderness and he runs into a few people. And at one point, he's climbing up a hill and this whole time he's carrying this large burden and it gets heavier and heavier and it's weighing him down. And he's climbing up a very steep hill and a man comes down and knocks him over and just beats on him. And it isn't until after he gets past that man and sees the tomb where they laid Christ that his burden falls off and he understands that he gets saved. But he asks who that man was on the mountain that was beating on him. And the Lord says it was Moses. Moses is the one that that showed the law, that gave the law, that gave the truth, that helps us to understand that we are evil and wicked sinners. For Sunday school, the, the last couple of days and the next few uh, memory verses are all memorizing the Ten Commandments. Those basic ten things that God gave to Moses to say, this is how you live. These are the things that help us to understand that we are not living right. I mean, the very first one, thou shalt have no other God beside me. And yet, we often put ourselves in that place. We listen to ourselves more than we do to God. The Jews are doing the exact same thing. They have taken their own, taken God's law and they've manipulated it and, and contorted it and added to it and made themselves the authority instead of God. And they've missed Christ. And they missed this lesson. 
Verses number 46 and 47 are, are sad. For had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if ye believe not his writings, how shall ye believe my words? Knowing and understanding that these men, in just a very short time, are going to be taking him and crucifying him. and spitting on him, and and beating him. And he's going willingly to pay for their sins. We've been going through the book of Judges, and and we've been watching Israel uh, cry out to the Lord, and and be redeemed, and have a judge raised up, and they serve the Lord as long as the judge is there, and then uh, they fall away immediately. They forget Don't let us forget. Believe the writings of Moses. Believe the writings of the prophets. Believe the writings of the apostles. And do what God has commanded us to do. We are not perfect. We are not Christ. We are not deity. We we have Christ living in us. We have the Holy Spirit living in us to guide us and direct us. Let's start using it. We had a good day today down at the park. We had a good day this morning with some very brief messages, but Let's not let it stop today. Let's let it carry on to tomorrow, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, whoever we're with. Let's let Christ be the authority and have that relationship with the Father that He has.